Welcome to the For Fox Sake podcast, by the fans, for the fans. With all the news, views and discussion from two lifelong Leicester City supporters. It's your show, so get in contact, make yourselves heard, what's your opinion? The only Leicester City podcast that's by the fans, for the fans. This is For Fox Sake. Hello and welcome to For Fox Sake. My name is Pete Selby and alongside me over the airways once again is Mr. Rob Hayes. First of all, Rob, hello. How are you? I've not spoke to you for what I think the listeners would say a bloody long time. It has been a long time, yeah. Uh, first of all, let me just get the apology out of the way before you start slating me. It is almost <laughs> entirely my fault that we haven't been able to do a podcast uh, in four games, believe it or not. Uh, but I do now work in the education sector and Ofsted came a-calling and they have uh, buggered off today. So hence I am now free to spend my time talking about football, which is what I'd rather be doing, let me be honest. But, you know, we're here. Four games have gone. We've scored 10. We've only conceded two. We're still second. We've opened up the gap between second and third. What is not to be happy about? That's true. Actually, I had it down as three games. I forgot about the Brighton game. The one thing we'll just touch on that Brighton is that we virtually got that score and scorers pretty much bang on because we said uh, Perez would bag first and 2-1. We went with 2-0, but what are you going you know, to do with that one goal? But... Um, yeah, since then, that game, Everton 2-1, the late goal from Iniacho, who we'll talk about, uh, Vardy continues scoring streak, what, eight goals now consecutive. Watford, scrappy game, 2-0, good second half, very poor first half, could have been different with an early goal. And then the Villa, 4-1 away, which was a, a complete performance and completely dominated uh, Villa on their own patch. And again, Vardy scoring, so... Plenty to get through, and we'll talk about the games as a whole rather than each individual one consecutively because it's been a while. And then regarding individuals and how they've either kicked on or or what's happened with the formation, and then I look forward to the game this coming weekend against Norwich and then future and whatever. That's roughly the idea. Um, so we'll start with, I reckon, Rob... Um, Kelechi Iniacho, who came off the bench against Everton to score the winning goal in a really good performance to set up the first and then you know, I said to, to score that winning goal, took it very well. The whole VAR thing afterwards and then the celebration with the, the bench and all the players. It was as good as a 4-0 drubbing, really, when you score a very late goal and it is what is obviously a very popular member of the squad who has been woefully, woefully out of form, but has now bounced back to almost the player that we thought, but 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 not quite the player we thought because of what he then showed against Aston Villa by controlling the ball well and, and being spatially aware, beating the player, playing the ball through for Vardy, also then doing what we know he can do in, in the penalty area and score. It's it's like a new signing. It is, yeah. We we talk about a lot of sort of forgotten men and fringe players, and he's not really been in the conversation this season. And and this is a real, real positive for us because it, it was a striker that cost us a fair whack of money, 
an awful lot of potential when he was scoring goals for Manchester City's first team. Um, but not really fitted in maybe with the, the previous formations or the previous managers for whatever reason. But the Kelechi Iheanacho of old would not get a look in under Brendan Rodgers. So I think Brendan Rodgers and his coaching staff must have done a lot of work with Iheanacho to, to get him to the point where he is able to be involved in all aspects of the play. we've I don't think I've ever seen him work as hard in terms of closing down uh, as a team um, than he did against uh, against Aston Villa uh, in the game just gone. So everything about his performances has improved. He took the goal um, against Everton, not at all like a player that hadn't scored in the Premier League for a year. He, he took it just, it was such a, a calm, composed, quality finish. And, you know, when we're talking about, we, we've, we've said for a while that if Vardy ever got injured, who would you play? And that was based on the assumption that we were playing a single striker. But Ian actually, I'm not going to sort of wax lyrical about him because, yes, it's been a game and a half, if that. But well, not combined. It was probably just about a game in terms of time on the pitch. But a goal and an assist in both of his appearances uh, over the last couple of weeks, a hunger, uh, uh, an added sort of quality and composure to his play, all of which bode really, really well because it means that you're not just heavily reliant upon the 11 players on the pitch. I did worry um a little bit when we sort of named the same team for the sixth game in a row what would happen if and when we had to change the personnel well players like Kelechi and Acho being on in the form that he's in gives uh, me some real hope that we have got the squad to be able to maintain the level of performance and level of uh uh victory uh, level of sort of results that we've been enjoying over over the last couple of months I agree, and it gives the manager a different option as well. Would we have played the diamond formation against Aston Villa in midfield if we didn't have Eniacho kind of all you know firing as he is? I'd imagine we probably would, and we could have played a number of players alongside Vardy or just off Vardy in that formation. But now Eniacho is back, and I completely agree. It's just the game and a half, as you said, but. The impact, the stats alone, two goals and, and two assists. It means that we, we can now play that formation with the perfect kind of option away from Vardy or alongside Vardy. And you have that diamond in midfield, which I've always, always thought that he would actually like to play. I think that would be, even though it's only happened on a, on a, on a few occasions, I actually think that's possibly what he would like to do, Brendan Rodgers. Because Pratt and also Tillemans fitting that role perfectly Tillemans can play in most places in midfield, but just slightly to the left, possibly, or to the right, depending on who wants to play where. Pratt has played on the, the right side of a midfield, not as a winger, but on just on that right side before. Indeed, he obviously anchors, and it's perfect for someone like Madison at the tip of the diamond. And then, in terms of changing players round, let's just say Madison comes off, Tillemans moves to the tip of the diamond, Chowdhury comes on, vice versa with all those they can all swap round it's a very very fluid system to play and we we have those perfect players plus what you need is two very quick fullbacks who can get forward and we've got two of the best in the league to do that and then you have the forwards up top to do their stuff 
you can have just one coming off like a Barnes or a Perez in that role or a Gray, and obviously Mr. Jamie Vardy up front. So it works really well, but whether they'll play that against Norwich, I probably have my doubts. I think they might revert back to, to the norm, and that's mainly due to what Norwich will do, which we'll come on to later. But it's, it's just it just shows you what's not only winning games and having a, a club record sequence of victories, but also just the feel-good factor in the place and what that what that does to players. Saying that Iniacho was not liked by anyone, you can see from the reaction of the players that he's obviously a well-liked member of the squad, but just, just the, the increase in performances and the feel-good factor of the club, it's obviously rubbed off on him, but, but importantly he, and this is what Rogers has always said about him, he, he has worked really hard in training, and he looks a different player. When you have a bit of a skip in your step, yeah, you can appear to be different, but he looks, I'm not saying he was big or anything, but you know, he looks lean, fast and, and, and ready for action. It's almost like you've been keeping him back for a few weeks and now you're unleashing him and then maybe one or two players just drop away and then they'll be unleashed again in, in the not-too-distant future. Maybe that's what would happen now because if we just quickly look on, say, the Norwich game, you'd imagine Iniacho would be... If we're going to play Vardy up front and then the three behind, he could easily be one of those three. And Perez could be, right, you, you're going to be playing against Everton in the Cup or or would you hold back Iniacho? It, it's, a, it's an interesting question now. It is an interesting question and it's a good one to have because not only, like you say, not only does it give um, Brendan Rodgers an extra player to call upon who can actually produce the goods or has shown that he that he will be able to in, in certain situations, but it gives us an entirely different shape with that diamond. I saw the diamond at um, Stoke during pre-season and I wasn't a massive fan of it in that game. Obviously, players were still... Um, working on their fitness. It was a new shape for them. Brendan Rodgers hadn't had an awful lot of time with the team still and there were a few players missing, but I didn't like the look of it. I, there's just something about having four central midfielders that um, that doesn't sit so well with me. So when I saw the team lineups for the Villa game, I did wonder, and now Brendan Rodgers is an excellent manager, excellent tactician, excellent coach, excellent man manager so I didn't for one second think oh he's just sort of fitting people in because Ian Acho's in decent form uh, I, I obviously trust him implicitly and knew that there would be a reason behind it and the diamond proved to absolutely swamp Aston Villa and, and like you say the fullbacks that we've got and then indeed he's just sitting deep into being able to make a three-man defense almost if you like there was a lot of fluidity, a lot of freedom there. And all of the players knew exactly what their jobs were. It's not like... It didn't look like a formation that had only been tried and tested a couple of times. It looked like something that had been really drilled into them on the training ground. Um, and talking of training, you know, when managers come out and say, oh, he's been training really well or he's a, an important member of the squad, about players, you sometimes don't believe him. You sometimes think, oh, he's just saying that because that's what the media want to hear or that's what the fans want to hear. But when he says players like Christian Fuchs and Kletchi and Acho, and he is genuinely sorry for them not being involved in certain squads and not having much game time and the fact that they are training really well, you can see that because Christian Fuchs came in for Chilwell um, in this run of fixtures when Chilwell had a, a bit of a hip strain and just slotted straight in. Kelechi Iheanacho made an impact from the bench and then made a real impact from starting as part of a front two. And 
and it is proof that the the level of work that is going on behind the scenes is is reaping its rewards on the pitch. It's not by chance that any of these things are happening. I don't think it's Ian Acho's had a bit of a lucky break. He's been grafting on the training ground. He knows exactly what his role is within the squad. He knew exactly what his job was in the team when he came on against Everton and when he started against Aston Villa. And and for that, you have to give credit to the manager and the coaching staff because they are doing a phenomenal job. They are. And just to nicely segue on to um, the Watford game for just, just a minute, winning 2-0. It could have been more, really, because there were early chances for uh, Perez, who kind of slipped when reaching for the ball. He shouldn't really have been having to do that because... He should have scored, put it this way. He should have scored, and that would have been a completely different game. It would have opened the game up, and I think Leicester then would have won very comfortably by by quite a few. There was also another chance immediately after, a lot more difficult for Perez, uh, and then Barnes had an opportunity where he hit the side netting and the near post. I agree with taking the shot in that position because at the time, uh, Vardy was on the far post, but he was well marshaled, and there was no one else in the penalty area as well. But... Uh, the, the the man of the match for me was was Christian Fuchs. They basically had Saar as their thirty million pound winger. Oh my God! But down the right hand side, so all their play was down the right. And Fuchs, I think, got done once in the entire game by a very expensive winger, and he had a really good performance. And that just shows you his professionalism as well. And we know that when Fuchs is in for for Chilwell for whatever reason. It's not a problem. It's not a problem at all. And he really stood out. Also, his distribution as well. We know he's got a very good left foot, but there was a couple of passes over to the right wing, which were absolutely exceptional and on a sixpence. But um, but he had a fantastic game. And then we scored with uh, with with the penalty hand in the face from uh, of Evans, and, and and obviously late on as well. But um, but the interesting one for that, and 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 because we didn't do the 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 podcast immediately after, it's not really now the, the huge thing as it was for me at the time but again the VAR penalty for Vardy what was going on standing on the foot it when it when I saw the replay in the ground on the monitors we were all going well this is going to get overturned and, and be a penalty for Leicester and the next thing you know he's sticking with his decision and he's the yellow card applies what that's about this is what I I don't get and, and, and it's not going to be a, a huge long rant but when the lawmakers at the beginning of the season set up VAR and had it written down in law what would happen, surely the scenario of someone going over for a penalty and being booked and then it being checked on VAR and a tackle being made, turns out that he's actually stood on the foot of a player or brought the player down. The risk... The ri- the fact that you can actually take away that yellow card, that surely has to have been in a conversation at some point. Oh, by the way, this could happen. But it obviously, it's not. What happens if then Vardy gets sent off or or that's the yellow card that rules him out of a title decider or something? It's, it's absolutely bonkers that they've decided that that is a yellow card dive when, and again, we'll loop it back to Mane, exactly the same. Contact made and he's gone over. VAR say penalty. Vardy goes over. A lot of contact as well, not a little nudge. Contact made. No, we're not going to give the penalty and we're going to keep the yellow card. Absolutely mind-blowingly inept. Completely bonkers. No idea why. 
and I'd love them to explain, but it's not going to happen. We're just going to move on to the next game, and well, anyway. But anyway, we won the game, and it's a a little segue onto Watford now because uh, they've got Mr. Nigel Pearson in charge with Craig Shakespeare, which is uh, nice to see the the double actor back. Seen some photos, not quite seen two balls under the arms of uh, Shakespeare as yet, but a few videos of them out on the uh, training pitch with Watford. It's, I mean, Watford are no danger to Leicester, but really, kind of everyone's half-second team now in a weird way. Uh, it's great to see Nigel back. It is, yeah. It'll be one of those things that we keep an eye on over the next few weeks, wouldn't it? The Watford score, just out of interest for a man that, regardless of whether you liked him or not, or you agreed with his methods or not, did an awful lot for this football club. He completely rebuilt the team uh, when it was a shambles, let's be perfectly honest. Um, and he was... Uh, a factor in the um, he was a factor in the great escape which uh, is one of the most memorable things that um, that have happened in Leicester's recent history of course that went on afterwards into the Premier League title um, Nigel Pearson's been away from the English game for quite a while didn't go particularly well for him in Belgium with the the sister club in the second division. Uh, a bit of a left field choice, really, I think, for Watford. But he is somebody who's sensible. He's pragmatic. He'll come in. He'll assess the squad. He will make them hard to beat. He will make sure that they are all honest. And I think that's how Watford get their joy because they haven't got an awful lot of talent in there. They've got some players who you'd look at going, flipping out, they should be playing in the championship. But if... If there's a character out there that's going to get them to club together and all work for a common goal, which ultimately is Premier League survival, then I think Nigel Pearson is that kind of character. And we will, of course, keep our eye on on how they do. He'll just go in there and he'll work hard. And, and with Craig Shakespeare alongside him as an outstanding coach, I would expect them to see some kind of upturn in fortune. I would think so as well. Just the organisation alone, I thought they were very compact and they defended well. A couple of nice clearances off the line. There was one from Vardy when he chipped the goalkeeper who came out. And they just need something up front. They're, they're so lacking up front, it's unbelievable. But um, So Leicester absolutely flying. Club record now in the top flight, beating the Ice Kings. Uh, Vardy, eight consecutive games. He scored in 16 Overall in the Premier League for Jet 16, but not even at Christmas yet. You're always thinking, oh, is he going to get 20 goals? Are we going to have that 20 goal uh, for this season striker up for it? He's on 16 already, and he's approaching the 100 as well in the Premier League, which I've mentioned a, a number of times. He's five clear in the top goalscorer market, by the way. Five clear of Aubameyang and uh, Tammy Abraham. Absolutely amazing. And as we uh, sit right now, we're eight points away from Liverpool, six in front of Manchester City, the defending champions, 14 clear of Manchester United, who are in fifth place. Uh, now, we said on the previous podcast that the, the four, the, the top four now is, is is the aim. But a lot of people in the last, say, seven days or so, five days, and again, social media, this and the other, a lot of people want things to, to, to put out and... and um, I don't think there's any harm in, in kind of being a club that people aren't really talking about or being kind of uh, having some kind of uh, agenda that, uh, that, that that somehow we're not kind of in this title race. I think 
that that's not a bad thing if they dis- decide to go that way the management and 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 it may be even the club as well with a few posts and and this that and the other because people can wave off social media all they like but all the players are on it all the time and it, and it really does mean a lot because if it's wrong if it's done wrong or something happens uh, it can all all go wrong but also it can keep things going i for one don't believe that in terms of being kind of not talked about maybe once or twice in a 24 hour live uh sports broadcast they might mention that liverpool are so so clear of man city and, and not include leicester but one person saying that doesn't mean a lot i've read so many columns recently about interviews with 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 evans talking about rogers on about vardy in the record and all about City and how they've kind of moved on from Club Powell and what happened with their Cumbi side last year. I, I I don't think for one second that anyone's taking a Leicester lightly, and b I, I think it's a very easy thing to say that people aren't talking about. I don't I don't believe that for a start. No, it, and it doesn't really matter either way. To be honest, some people are getting a little bit antsy that in certain narratives, it's been Liverpool stretching their the lead over Manchester City and I've seen sort of doctored league tables where it shows Liverpool in first, second completely blanked out and then Manchester City in third. If people don't want to talk about us, then fine. If they do want to talk about the the positive job that's being done at Leicester City, the momentum that we've got, the quality that we're showing on the pitch, then also fine. I think recognise that we're doing well. Yeah, if you want to talk about Liverpool versus Man City and and some people still think that that is going to be what it ultimately boils down to for the title race. And let's be perfectly honest, we'd have not been put out by that at the start of the season. Uh, Are we in a title race at the minute? Well, we're second. We're closest challengers to Liverpool at the top. So you would have to argue at this moment in time, yes. Do... Is it possible for us to sustain that towards the end of the season when it does really become a title race, i.e. the title is in sight and the games are are closing in? Have we got what it takes to sustain that? Who knows? This season's already been a really positive surprise for me. Uh, we said that we'd like to be um, pushing as hard as we can to to secure some kind of European football. And then we upgraded that to, yeah, well, we should now, based on the start, we may be expecting to finish in the top four. Do we extend that further and say that we should now be expected to be finishing in the top two? I'm not sure. Does it really matter at this stage? Not really to me. This is my personal opinion. I'm just really enjoying the results that we get in the performances we're putting in. The fact that now the league table is starting to shake up. I know it's still very tight down from fifth downwards, but if you look at the league table right now, you know, it's Liverpool, Leicester, Man City, Chelsea, Manchester United, um, and then Wolves, who were in and around that position last season, and Tottenham. Aside from, really, Arsenal, that is essentially what you would expect the top sort of six and seven of the Premier League to look like, maybe not necessarily in that order. So the teams that have had decent starts, like Palace, 
like Burnley up until a couple of games ago were a bit higher up. And like I say, I know it's tight and I know this doesn't mean anything right now. But if you look at it, we're the only real intruders. Uh, and we're 16 games into the season. You know, in, in three games time, we'll be saying, yeah, we're halfway through the season. And we've got to be taken on merit now. This is not just a good start. This is Leicester playing well and doing well in the Premier League. So if people want to talk about us as title contenders, fine. Do I consider us to be title contenders? Mm, probably not. But if they don't want to talk about us either, couldn't care less. <laughs> we'll have to come up with a, a, a cut-off date. Like if we're still in, in the title picture come February, say, then then we can say automatically well, we declare ourselves in the title race. I, I completely agree for me. I'm not bothered about... Uh, any exposure of the club, whatever, I think there's been quite a lot. And I'm happy in the, at the moment in the top four. Liverpool are a fantastic team. If you look at eras of sides or great sides in football, and if you're taking just to say the last what, 20 years, um, you've got, say, the, the obviously at the beginning of the, of the millennium, it was Arsenal, and then it moved on to uh, Chelsea with Mourinho there. And then you had that side at Manchester United. What a fantastic side. I think we had Rooney, uh, Tevez, Ronaldo, Berbatov, those players there. Uh, and then it became kind of... The, everyone had like one or two years. You had the uh, the last year of Ferguson, uh, Chelsea sparking every now and again. And then, of course, Man City uh, every now and again winning the league. And then it will be the Pep and Klopp years. Obviously, we had that one one bit but in terms of defining kind of teams and where at the moment it might be you never know the last legs of of a man city side but they've had two or three years of utter dominance and fantastic football getting record after record in terms of points goals unbelievable amount of points liverpool the same but without the domestic success they obviously have won in europe as well and we're we're playing against two of the best sides, if you look at it that way, that there's been in, in in recent decades, it's it's absolutely phenomenal what Leicester are doing. So I just I just say go with the flow. I'm always keeping my eye on that 14 point gap to fifth until we get to the stage where you actually are in that title race. Who knows if we're eight points behind Liverpool come Boxing Day, you play them at home, you win, you five points off, and then you start having a laugh. I'm at the moment with all Liverpool fans that I know. Just having a bit of a giggle with them because they're saying you're not going away, are you? And I'm, I'm there. Well, no, you're not. You're not uh, going away as well. You know, we keep on uh, keeping up with the pace. But who knows? Who knows what could happen? Uh, we don't, and no one else does. We'll have to wait and see and just enjoy the ride as it happens. But uh, so that's where we are in the league. Uh, Norwich on Saturday. Uh, interesting game. First of all, with the two previous games that we've had at home with Everton playing. With virtually a back five, played really well. Richarlison always does well against Leicester, really good header. But also they did do well, they did defend well. Leicester slightly off the pace. And then Watford sitting back in that two banks of four, as I said. And Leicester failing to take their very early chances. And it turned into a game where once Leicester score, it's, it's always going to be that way. But they defended well. Do you, I'll tell you what, I'll, I'll say what I think. I think Norwich will, will come and play because that's what they've done. All the way through this season, they've gone to bigger clubs and those clubs right at the top of the league and they've played their stuff and they've looked very dangerous at times, scored goals, but have also been picked apart on a few occasions. I think they'll come and do that. 
I think they'll come and play their football, which will make for what I think will be an entertaining game and I think plenty of goals as well. That's why I think that Leicester will revert back to having Vardy up top with the three players behind and then sitting will be Ndidi and, and, and Tielemans. That's what I think Leicester will do purely because of the open nature of the game and, and then the ability to either counter-attack or, or pick apart a Norwich side without having to play a diamond in midfield because I don't think it will be needed on Saturday. No, I don't I don't either. I think um I think wingers, I think plenty of pace. I think let Norwich come at us for all they're worth and then then spring the counter really. Obviously we, we do like to play a lot of possession football, but I think you're right. I don't think Norwich are in the business of coming to whatever ground it is that they're visiting and and trying to sit in so much. They will try and play football. I don't think they're good enough to play football against us. I think our press and our um, sort of combined efforts to win the ball back in any area of the pitch will cause them all sorts of problems because they will not be anywhere near good enough with limited time on the ball uh, and we can really hurt them with that. I don't think Ian Acho will start. I think we'll revert back to the sort of Vardy up top, Barnes on one side. Maybe Perez will come back in because he's the kind of player that you almost need to keep faith with, really, um, to to enable him to keep making good contributions to the team. Uh, Madison probably in the number 10 role and Tielemans and Ndidi in, in the centre of midfield with the promise to to players like Dennis Pratt, like um, Kelechi and Acho. Look, we've got a game in the cup four days later. You are going to be responsible for helping us um, get closer to some silverware uh, and play it, to, play it to them like that. Brendan Rodgers did not feel obliged to play Kelechi and Acho in the Watford game at all. Uh, based on that wonder half an hour that he had. Uh, so I, I think he'll carefully manage the situation. Um, and if it ain't broke, don't fix it. It worked against Villa, uh, but I completely agree with you. An expansive, wider, pacier game will hurt Norwich much more, especially as we would expect them to, to come at us we can counterpunch much harder, I'd imagine. I agree with Perez coming to the side. The one question I will have, though, is I think for, for Rogers, three points will be obviously what he wants. But I think the best thing that could happen for Rogers is if Vardy scores early. Vardy scores, let's say, quarter of an hour into the game, OK? And Leicester, let's just say 1-0 up at half-time or 2-0 or up, let's say 1-0, and Vardy scored. I wouldn't be surprised if Vardy then gets dragged for Ineacho, light for light swap, and say to Vardy, look, you've got your goal, your record is carrying on, but you're going to be starting Wednesday or Tuesday, whatever it is, against Everton in the Cup. I think that's ideally what Rodgers would want. Be able to give Vardy a rest, not have him play 90 minutes, maybe an hour, but if Leicester are comfortable, if they're, if they're two goals clear at half-time and Vardy's scored, I would be amazed if he's out in the second half. And I think Ineacho is probably going to be told, look, you're going to probably come on here for Vardy. In an in a ideal world, that would be the case. And obviously then Perez could possibly move into the centre. You never know like if they want to switch things around and try some things out. But I, I think that will be the case. I think they're looking at this game going, look... Go out there. I wouldn't be amazed. I'll be amazed. Sorry, if Leicester do not just try and blitz at the start, which they did against Watford, didn't quite work out 
in terms of ch- taking chances, but they're going to really want to put a, a two-goal lead down early and then be able to take Vardy off. You'd imagine someone like Tillemans as well will probably be replaced. You could bring Chowdhury on or Pratt. Uh, and then maybe another. You, you could even turn around. It depends on how well the game's going. Obviously, they're all mega fit, but maybe even one of the defenders, maybe someone like an Evans possibly. Who knows? Or even Fuchs for Chilwell if he's not fully recovered from obviously being out for one game. You don't know quite well. He is. Um, I think that's how they'll like to go. Whether it's going to work out that way, who knows. For me, I think it's going to be an entertaining game. I think Vardy will continue scoring. I can see Leicester scoring at least three against uh, a Norwich side who are perfectly capable of scoring. So I'm, I'm going to go for three-one Leicester, and I'll go for I'll go for Vardy first goal, which I don't normally say. Really, we, we went with Perez when it was against uh, against. Brighton and we got that one right or at least I did and um, I'm going to go with Vardy to score early and I'll, I'll say I think he might get dragged at half time Yeah I completely agree with you it is about managing not only the upcoming fixture against Everton and the need and want for silverware but also the fact that we have got a few big games coming up over the festive period as well and, and they are as they are historically quite close together Um and Vardy seems to be benefiting from the additional time off from international breaks, etc. So when you've got a striker really desperate to get on the pitch and, and able to impact the game like Kalecci and Acho, there'd be no sense whatsoever in keeping Vardy on the pitch, provided he's got that goal. I don't think anybody would dare take him off if he hadn't got the goal to continue the run. Um, Prediction-wise, yeah, I think there'll be goals. I don't know... I mean, I probably would have predicted something like 3-1, 4-1, but I'm going to go a little bit more conservative this time because we beat Villa 4-1 and you just said 3-1, so I'm going to backtrack to 2-1 with Barnes opening the scoring, I reckon. Yeah, Mr Barnes, a player who's uh, all of a sudden, obviously with the change of formation, wasn't involved straight away, but it'd be lovely for him to score. It is a, it is an interesting question. Maybe if Leicester are winning 1-0 or 2-0 and Vardy hasn't scored and he wants to make a change, what kind of scenario would happen then? Um, obviously, he'd love to carry on that record, but if you've got a game midweek, or, or does the fact that Ineacho is now back in favour, does it mean that he will actually turn around and go, actually, Clarity, you're going to be starting against... Aston Villa and Vardy you can be on the bench and we're going to play a strong team but Vardy you can then come on I, I don't think that would be the case I think actually against Villa uh, sorry against um, Everton in the cup I think they'll go with the team who played against Aston Villa I think we've seen the lineup already I think they'll go with that because it's quite fluid then in case they want to take off Vardy or one of the forwards and, and then switch to one with three behind and then the two city midfielders as Leicester like to play I think it works so well against Villa, the diamond, that they, I think they'll employ that against uh, Everton in the cup, and uh, and, and we and we shall see. Um, a couple of things to to finish off with. One, uh, there was a, a post by Union FS uh, that's been picked up uh, and retweeted a number of times regarding the cup game against Wigan. So we had the cup draw, Wigan at home, the first tie out. I love the third round draw, and there's been a number of interesting ties created, but. First out, Leicester City. Right, here we go. Wigan. Oh, dear. You know what I mean? It's it's the most uninspiring draw you can ever, ever have. But if you want to go far, there's not 
bad. That's not a bad draw at all. At home against Wigan. Um, also, there'll be plenty of opportunity for fans who haven't seen the side at the moment because of the lack of tickets available uh, to go and watch them. So th- there's many, many things to do with the game, which because they, they're not going to bring. Sometimes you might say, let's just say you play, I don't know, Sheffield Wednesday. OK, they're going to bring six, seven thousand OK, in the FA Cup. But Wigan aren't. They're just not. So there's going to be the opportunity for Leicester to pretty much sell as many as they like for a cheap price. And I'd imagine there'll be loads of kids going. I think I think it'll be a, a perfect gift for, for Christmas. I think there'll be obviously a drive from the football club to probably advertise and try and shift as many pre-Christmas saying, look, here's your ticket kind of thing. Um, but UniFS, they've been given 600 tickets in SK1 uh, and as a separate section, as a singing section. Now, as soon as you hear singing section, for me, kind of alarm bells go up and go on. No, not them idiots at Palace you know, behind the goal, all 25 of them wearing black T-shirts. But it's it's a good idea because uh, listening to UniFS, on, who were on BBC Radio Leicester on Monday night, but also reading their posts, they were very uh, specific in saying it's to encourage people to get involved i.e. if you're not going to the games at the moment, come along. But also, if you want to come along and then enjoy what they do in the corner and the songs and this, that and the other, then come and stand with them. Or, if you may be a season ticket holder in a different part of the ground, come over to us for this game and, and see what it's like. And maybe you are 14, 15, 16 years old and you're thinking, actually, I'd like to go over there once I get the ability to go on my own, for example. Um, which is exactly what I did when I first started going to Leicester by myself. Well, me, me and a, a mate of mine, we were, I think, about 15, 16, something like that. And uh, and we went straight in the cop with the boot boys standing up on the, on the seats at the time. Uh, not even on the, on the terrace, on the seats. But uh, and, and I think it's a perfect opportunity for that. So if you are uh, that way inclined and wanting to do that for the cup game, then yeah, Union FS... Is the uh, is the place to be, and uh, and you can find all the details of of how you can get those specific tickets. But I think it's a good idea. It's a, there's a lot more behind it than just the singing section. I think there's a it's a very good idea. It is, and it's worth trialing at a game like that when it's not going to put anybody out. It's not going to uh, meddle with anybody's routines, anything like that. Uh, and I think it is a good opportunity for for some fans to see Leicester, and uh, and I think Brendan Rodgers will respect the FA Cup, and he will put out a, a team that 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 has some well known players in it, and uh, and it will play in the same style as the team that plays week in week out in the Premier League. Wigan's a bit of a non entity of a draw, really, to be perfectly honest, but you've put a very positive spin on it there, Pete, yeah, in terms of the the good things. That it brings and the and the good things that it allows other people who perhaps can't get down regularly enough to accumulate the points to pick up tickets to the Premier League matches. Um, it gives them a chance to see Leicester live in the flesh, as it were. So it's good. Yeah, I'll I'd, I'd be interested to see what people think of the the singing section. Um, there are always ways of further improving the atmosphere at, at football stadiums and, and maybe this is a way of sort of trialling certain things in sort of preempting a larger stadium because I don't think the the owners um, and the board would want to the King Power Stadium to lose any of its 
atmosphere, any of its sort of fortress-like nature that it has these days um, with that kind of thing. So it's it's a good, positive move. And if it doesn't work, you just don't do it again. Simple as that. I, th- I think it is. I think it's a good move. Also, looking at the ground as well, because the ground, once it gets going, it's it's really loud. If the football's exciting, the King Power is a loud stadium, as we know. But also, the Clapper... Um, is a set is a separate argument really whether you're for or against the clappers. But if you're looking at expanding the stadium, which they are, if you look at a, a say a ground like Celtic have that corner where they have their uh, their, their kind of bunch of supporters who who are an, an equivalent to uh, Union FS. Uh, but also, I think the one thing it might do is you're looking towards and this will happen in the not too distant future in a number of grounds having safe standing and if you're having safe standing then naturally um a group like union fs i would imagine would go into that standing area you'd also have members of the public who go who sit who sit in what would be then the standing area let's just say the cop just for um argument's sake who might not want to be in that area then they might then move so you will get a natural kind of move of supporters and you would then also and again I, I'll reiterate the fact that you'll be having a lot of supporters who are currently in the family stand who will then probably want to now go and sing and stand and and, and jump around and this that and the other and, and and go towards that standing area but personally for me I obviously along with yourself you know we commentate on the games we're very fortunate to do so but if I was to then get a season ticket by myself at the moment, uh, my dad goes uh, and got brilliant seats behind the dugouts. But if I was to get one with a, a, a group of mates or, or whatever, and they had a standing section, a safe standing section, that would I'd jump at the chance straight away. So again, I would naturally move away from where I am in the in the ground, and it'll be very interesting once that happens. Uh, if that happens, but anyway, that's a that's an argument for uh, for the future. There is one thing though, Rob, and one thing with not doing the podcast for a while, which of course is all your fault. Um, it's the fancy football. Now, the fancy football. Um, we know that my team has been awful for a while, and it carried on being quite awful until actually a slow turnaround. Imagine like a, a big. Ocean liner, all of a sudden it needs to do like a three. It's going to take ages to turn around. I think it's just starting to point in the right direction. But first up, we need to do the top ten. Starting with number ten, and that's Leicester City, Luke Taylor on 954 points just clinging on there uh, down into 9th uh, FC Vladovic Barbers uh, Steve Curtin 962 up into 8th place friend of the show Mark Perkins with Loudmouth FC 966 points where's Perko come from? God knows where in 7th place remaining there is uh, Panic Prevention uh, Daniel Charters 971 points in sixth is Joe Healy with Chachit Get Banged 979 points into the top five down into fifth did you hear that down into fifth it's for Fox 8 Rob Hayes 981 points up into fourth 
with 990, it's Gav Brown and the Saigon Foxes. Top three remain as they were. Top three, third, Matthew Archer, Pedro City, 1,003 points. And then a jump to second, Rogers the Cabin Boy with Daniel McCready's team on 1,029. And Video killed the Saudi, who's still top of the league on 1,054. So he is uh, still clear at the top. That is the top 10. Now, if I just go down slightly to 30th place, um, and you find Super Frank Sinclair, my team. Uh, now, I did get, in the last game week, 90 points. And I've gone through, and I've gone down to 30th. I can't see anyone on 90. I'm scrolling further down. 81 points, someone there. 70 points. All the way down. And I think I am, yep, I am correct in saying... I got the most points this week out of everyone in the entire league. So, it's just a bit of a rescue mission at, at the moment. I'm on 903 points, Rob. And so I am exactly 51 points off the top 10. Oh, yeah. It is close. Um, dramatic and terrible news, that the fact that my sister is still above me in the league. But we'll forget about that. Um, there we go. You are down to fifth. Yeah. I had a couple. I had a week in particular... Uh, where I only scored about 30-odd points. It was quite a low-scoring week across the board, but everybody else managed to pull out... Welcome to my world. Well, yeah, but most people managed to pull out an extra 10, 15 points here or there. You know, I was looking at this before last night's um, Arsenal game, and um, Alex Economo had dropped from the top, and I was like, whoa, what's going on here? And then I've just seen that he's top now, obviously, with us reading out the top 10, and he's captain the Bamiyang. It's almost like he's got a sixth sense. I was looking at him thinking, surely, with one more game to come on the Monday night and, and he's slipped down to second, that that's it, his, his stint at the top has gone and Aubameyang just happens to be his captain. I reckon he's got some inside knowledge going on there because no matter what happens, no matter who has a disastrous week, no matter if he's got a load of average point-scoring players, the one that bags the most just happens to be in his team or happens to be the captain. I can, there's something fishy going on here. You know, I'm not saying that because I'm bitter about dropping out of the Champions League places at all. There's nothing to do with it. No, it doesn't sound that way at all, Rob. Of course not. No, I had a good week. I've got three Tottenham players. I've got captain uh, Harry Kane, 32 points there. Son and Ali both scored as well. I've got Vardy in the team. Uh, a lot of people would have had Vardy score twice, so he's going to be uh, he's going to be points. That that was the one thing with me. After a, I had a fantastic Saturday, and if let's just say Leicester won one nil, Vardy scored great. But the fact they scored twice wasn't great for the Dream Team. Um, I'd imagine every single person in the entire world will captain Vardy this weekend. See, this is the gamble I've got to take now. Do I stick with Kane as captain? Do I do I go different to the crowd? That's that's the kind of um, the kind of risk reward type thing that I've got to go with, but anyway, that's the uh, that's the dream team league. It's uh, it's still keeping me. It's a good idea, isn't it? It's um, scrolling down. There's been even teams right towards the bottom got some really really good points. So I presume everyone's still doing it. You know what I mean? It's not going away. And when you look, it's you know I'm I'm only fifty points off, say fortieth. So it's <laughs> it's still all to go for. It could go could go dramatically wrong once again. Anyway. Oh, everything's falling apart. The wind is terrible today. It's unbelievable outside. Don't know whether anyone can hear it in the background, but if you can hear 
you know, kind of drops of rain or, or, or something blowing over or whatever. I think I've turned my bin over about six times outside, the wheelie bin. It's wanted to catch off and head over towards the Dovecote where Shepshire Dynamo play. But anyway, that's it for the podcast. Um, we will be back soon because, again, we're going to be doing our team of the decade. I don't know whether you've been uh, doing any research on this yet, Rob. Uh, I've uh, got my defence and goalkeeper sorted and we'll be recording soon. We're going to be, once again, we're going to be doing two parts. And so they're not going to be um, uh, full episodes like normal. It's going to be a separate uh, uh, to the, the normal list of episodes. Uh, a two-part special on the best team of the decade best Leicester side of the decade and we're going to have uh, probably like three players per position go through them and uh, and pick a team of the decade which everyone would probably disagree with but uh, that's to come uh, obviously points on Saturday against Norwich nice easy win and then we've got the game against Everton in the cup which after the news of Silver's sacking not the greatest and I'm looking at Sky Sports news now and uh, Pereira, Victor Pereira, who's over in, I think he's in China, uh, managing over there. He was heavily linked with Everton and he's actually turned the job down. Uh, they were actually in, in discussions with him. So whether Big Donk's in charge for the game next week, we'll wait and see. But uh, let's get through to a semi-final. And by the time we re-record, hopefully it will be after that game against Everton. And we're looking forward to playing away at Manchester City. So that's it from me. Uh, find us on social media at FFSpod. FFSpod is the Twitter handle. If you want to get in contact with the show, Twitter, Facebook, type in for Fox 8 Podcast. We're on there. Give us a like and it means you'll get all the notifications on there. And if you want to send us an email to do with absolutely anything, you know, just wishing us a Merry Christmas, then for Fox 8 Podcast at gmail.com and regarding that special any other specials as well i've got an idea for one maybe in the new year but so anything else or any questions that you want asking or or whatever just send them through and we'll do our best to ignore them. i mean i read them and uh, and try and make that happen anyway that's it for now and we'll be back next week up the city